Hey team, welcome to Authority Optional Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. Today is part two of working with Mac from the National Land podcast. We get into feelings about decentralized leadership, when that's appropriate and for what that's appropriate. We talk about remote versus office and other uh, sundries and fun things. So enjoy the wisdom and enjoy the show. We've talked about what would happen if we lost our jobs. My wife and I routinely talk about that. And because it's just life planning, right? And not that I'm worried about mine or not that she's worried about hers. But, you know, I started looking at, you know, the real estate market started tanking here like last year. And it's, and I've always taken the stance that, you know, my team can function without guy in a big chair, right? Like I'm just, you know, I guide things, they do things. And, and I know that I know the argument of like leadership is important and everything, but if it's like comes down to company saving money, it should probably be me first, you know? And, and I've kind of taken that stance personally and my wife's not very happy about it, but you know, we talk about disaster scenarios and it's brainstorming, right? This is just talking. And I was feeling some anxiety because I was just watching the markets early last year. We, you know, team's fine now and the company is fine. And, you know, we've, we've all battened down the hatches, but at the time it was a little, I had to like plan for some anxiety. And my wife was like, you know, we know the process, like it seems scary, but it's not, you know, you, you do your thing, you, you do your 401k rollover. You might have to take some Cobra insurance for a while. You can get the private insurance, the, the, the six month insurance, and you're good to go. It's, it's not as intimidating as it sounds to make a huge change like that. And it was funny once she laid it out like that, it's like, you know, we have done that before. It's not so bad, you know, it's stressful. I'm not going to say it's not stressful. Job changes are terrifying, but when it comes down to it, you got to tear that bandaid off. You can do it. It's, it, you know, get the heck out. Uh, that's something actually, um, since my wife and I are both business owners, um, we're, you know, we have to deal with, we have to do the insurance dance for, uh, you know, privatized insurance and she's pretty much handling the whole thing by herself. And she, you know, she got really tangled up in, in a particular set of choices and the, she got frazzled about it. And I said, listen, this is, this is something that you truly cannot fuck up because all the worst that's possibly going to happen is you're going to lock us into something for a year money comes and goes we, it, you know if it, if it turns out that it wasn't a great decision we'll change that decision next year if you can look at things with a little bit of perspective and just say whatever it is that's coming is temporary unless it's death <laughs> if you can, if you're not facing imminent death then everything else you're facing is temporary and which kind of means you really can't mess it up that bad. You, you can make a mistake. You can do things that maybe cost you a little bit more money. You just, you got to write the ship. You got to trudge on. You got to go find out what that thing is. And they're just, it's, it's too easy. It's too easy to pull up chat GPT and ask for the answers for crying out loud. Like, <laughs> like AI is there to support you. And that's to say nothing of social networks and, other resources that are just at our fingertips these days, you know, when Josh and Mac and I were, were, I almost said Mike, when Josh and Mac and I were going through our own shit shows, this stuff wasn't available. <laughs> you had to almost literally pound the pavement. You had to go door to door, handing in applications and handing over resumes and whatever. Anyway, I digress. I'm sounding like a dinosaur. Um, 
quick question about about your culture, uh, Mac, and then I think we got a couple others for you before we before we let you go. Has do you feel this is this starts out as as a yes or no question, and if the answer is yes, please dive in. If the answer is no, we'll move on. So the yes or no question is: Do you feel like since you were put in a position of leadership, has your culture that you have tried to create shaped and shifted as you have evolved as a leader, or do you feel like you've been pretty consistent after the same thing the whole time? I have one hundred percent changed. As okay, going on. I I learn from my team daily, weekly, on a pretty high level just little things too. Like, uh, I suck at staying on top of things like my Slack messages because just because of my role, I'm always in meetings. And so when I'm in a meeting, I don't want to be distracted and shift to something else as it comes in. And then my team who are not in meetings as much as I am need answers for things. And so I, I have, at first I would kind of dismiss it. Like I just can't get there. And then it shifted to where like, I need to be on top of those mess. Like I need to be a better communicator and, and be on top of the nuances. There's little things like that. There's, there's larger things, you know, where it actually, the funny thing is I kind of created an alarm system with my team. It's like, okay, if it matters, matters, text my phone. Then I know it's an emergency. If it doesn't (laughs) matter, matter, and it, it can take a couple of days for an answer, keep it on Slack. And if you don't care if it ever gets seen, that's an email. And like, so there's, we have a sliding scale, yeah, uh, absolutely. you know, towards, it's, it, that. It, cause in, in, I communicate my schedule with them pretty routinely. So they do know, like, I, I am kind of like out in front, like I'm the flak jacket for the team and I'm always in meetings and I'm always getting the information and stuff. And then they're doing the work and they're working with the projects and they deal with what I call clients, which are our agents, um, internally. So we, we do have a fun dynamic there, but no, I, I learn from them daily because nobody's perfect. I screw up just as much as anybody and, and like all little things, right? Like uh, I just had a conversation with, with, um, with my, my director Ed, that um, she was talking about just who she is, is very like, you can, you can see exactly who she is on her facial expression. And she was like, I, I want to be real to my team. I was like, there's a, there's a nuance to that though, because when you're in leadership, every facial expression you have affects your team. (laughs) And, and I realized it because one day I showed up and I'm just, it was one of those days. Like, I think I was just doing something stupid, like working on a project till too late at night or something. And I didn't sleep and I was dying in the morning meeting. I could barely function. And I get a call from one of my team members later in the day, like, I'm really concerned. Like what's going on? Yeah. Get your shit together, Mac. <laughs> no, she was like, are we getting fired? <laughs> oh, damn. That was the first question. Cause I just looked that beat up <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I realized how the little tiny, tiny things that you do bleed down into your team. When you're in a leadership position, you might be having the worst day ever, but you got to throw that game face on. You have to be the you have to be the face of stability in the team. And like I'm a goof off. I'm kind of a screwhead, and you know, just as a person. So there's that in my personality. But if I deviate, it really affects the team. And I've had to learn that. And so like I I had you know I got to teach that to my director one because I I was communicated that, and you could see the light bulb go on. Like oh yeah, that's totally a thing. Um, those parts of me have evolved as I've as I've had a leadership position, realizing that 
I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to use the word look up to like your team doesn't look up to you, but they look to you. They look to you. Yeah. Yeah. And they look to you to, to be that stability. You know what to do. You got a problem. I can help you out. I've got your back. You know, those kind of things. It's, it's tremors. It's ripple effect. The, the way that I used to always word it was you have to be the battery. If you're the leader, it's your job to feed energy to the team. Even if you are, (laughs) Hungover, drug out, sick to death, whatever. What it doesn't matter. It's your job to to stand them up in because they all might be feeling sick or sleepy or whatever. And because it is your job as a leader to lead by example, you got to rally. If you want them to rally, you got to rally first, and you got to show them that's what it's like. That does not mean that you can't have a bad day. It doesn't mean that you can't ask your team for a little extra support once in a while, but. By and large, you're the battery. You're the one that's got to feed the energy the large, large majority of the time so that those times that you do need to ask for a little extra assistance, it's a no-brainer. The team goes, oh, yeah, you're human after all. Thank God. Yeah, I'm happy to help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, inspiring a team as a, as a part of what you're doing. Um, and it's, it's amazing how, how nuanced it can be, exactly like what you're talking about, the look on your face, how you present information, uh, people can tell when you're not transparent, when you're not being honest. Uh, and sometimes that honesty, the ref- the refreshing piece of it is just like what Max said. Just, yeah, oh my God, you're human. We all have a radar. Generally speaking, we are. it is built into us as, as a species. And most species have some version of a radar. And ours helps us detect when somebody's bullshitting us. And all it takes usually to calibrate said radar is a little bit of time. And a little bit of energy, a little bit of, you know, focus. And so if you're, especially if you're doing the right thing and you're being vulnerable and you're being transparent and you're letting them know who you are just as much as you're asking them to let you know how they are, who they are. Yeah, they're going to see right through your bullshit if you come to work and trying to, you know, putting on a facade. It's what we talked about in uh, the last episode or maybe not the last episode, but so before I, I lose track. Um where somebody's being a show for the company, you're telling me <laughs> that this thing that's coming down the, the pike is going to be good news? There's no way. If you think that that's good news, you're an evil person. Yeah, I get called on it on it now, you know, because I'll, I'll tell my team things where it's like, okay, situation happened. I'm not naming names or, or, or you know, something happened. Somebody brought something up that we did. Well, who did it? Who, who brought it up? Yeah. I'm not going to go into that detail. It doesn't matter who brought it up. It matters that we did it. Yes. And, and so, th- but the thing is irrelevant, not the person who brought it to our attention. Exactly. So I'll do that. And, and I do it. It's where it comes back to bite me is the transparent culture is I'll have team members sit there like, okay, well, that's a little awkward. You know, they'll say that to me <laughs> and it's kind of, it's one of those, but I've created that environment and I love it. But if you're not willing to accept it as a leader, because a lot of leaders are ego driven and they can't handle a team having their own opinion. And because, and I would, I, I hate to say it that way, but there are a crap ton of leaders out there that cannot handle it. So and it's, so you build, you got to be careful of what you build. Yeah. You can email us at authority optional podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to uh, have a consultant that might be able to help you with not being shitty. 
<laughs> and just I, I have a hard time in. believing that, that like like shitty managers don't know that they're shitty. Like I, you got to go home at night and be like, yeah, I'm kind of crappy. Uh, oh, absolutely. Nobody, nobody's the villain in their own play. So no. I've encountered plenty of people. Here's the one that I I have encountered the most in my most recent job. Um, they hear the term micromanager and they act like they're allergic. <laughs> and, I never do that. Yeah. they. <laughs> and the problem was everybody talks and my team was especially good at going around. And, and this was something that, let me finish my thought. My team was especially good at going around and, and, checking in and feeling and feeling out how where where people stood what they thought about the job where were they how they doing that was uh, we made that a concern of ours because we were exquisitely concerned with the climate with the culture what's happening in the building around us because we can only control you know the couple hundred people that report to us but our people are going to be impacted by the other hundreds of people around them so we were constantly checking in with other leaders and I had engagements and interactions with other leaders that were convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt they were not micromanaging. Even though they were over their people's shoulders 10x, 20x more than I was. And so I'm like, I don't think you understand what micromanagement means. This word you keep using. I do not think it means what you think it means. It's funny because there's there's a crossroads there too where as you become, you know, whether it's a subject matter expert or if you are a, a cultural expert and you've been training and learning and growing and doing and you have that next level leader that wants to know absolutely everything and runs it through checks and they may have some great ideas and some great suggestions and I, you should always be open to that but the point where the line crosses over where they're asking for well you need to do a full breakdown we'll do a presentation i want to know exactly what you're going to do for this process that you're going to implement etc and it's really interesting when you get to the point where you actually have to have a critical conversation with somebody and inform them that they aren't the expert and that you appreciate the two or three insights that they gave and they're valid and they're important. But I'm not going to do 10 hours worth of work to break down what I haven't done yet to get your approval and permission when I know exactly what it is and how it's going to function, how it's going to work better yet. Let me fail. Let me figure out on my own if this is going to work or not going to work. And being a guiding hand is one thing and being a micromanager. Ugh. Well, one of the things that happens and then we can end this diatribe because <laughs> <laughs> we're going off on a tear. One of the things that happens when people want to get involved and make sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're, quote unquote, not going to fail is really all they're doing is whitewashing the material. They're making it bland and stale and unimportant. They're going to make it look like every other piece of information that has ever come across anybody's desk. It's going to be the same presentation with the same bullet points. Worst case scenario, they're going to interject and try and take credit for said project because Which, of the fact that they saved it. Absolutely happens, has happened many, many times, but... The more common is what they do is force this 
effort, this idea into something that people have heard a hundred times and it now it means nothing. And it, this was a true waste of time and resources and personnel. So yeah, get the fuck out of the way. In short, <laughs> let experts be the expert. Yeah. Well, I think there's an opportunity too, like talking to a team, you know, like the two of you, right? Where um, every manager knows to say that they're not a micromanager. And, mm-hmm. and I, it, my personal opinion is if you're the one always saying that you're not a micromanager, you just might be the one because it, you're, people have a tendency to try to excuse themselves. If you are looking at it, every situation to be like, okay, am I being a micromanager right here and actually questioning yourself, then you, I think you're on the right track. But the, the key indicator is if your team is coming to you to make decisions like at a, at a very low level, Hey, should I do this? Can I put this paper in this way? Hey, can I run this project this way? Hey, I'm good. I'm thinking about this on this project. Can I do that? Now you're talking about being self-aware Mac, (laughs) (laughs) but, but it like, and that's the question asked, does your team come to you with small questions? Like, like they can't move forward until they get that answer. If they're doing that, you need to look in the mirror quickly because you're that guy. You're the micromanager. Yeah. That's, that's the manager that at a peer level is talking to their other peers about, Oh, my team won't leave me alone. They ask me the most frivolous questions constantly. Yeah. You might need to have a conversation about you not giving people permission. Well, to the point made earlier that you were saying, Mac, they don't realize it. Here's, here's the other part of that litmus test. If your team comes to you for all the small dumb shit and you like it, (laughs) <laughs> you're a micromanager let me jeff foxworth this you might be a micromanager no that is exactly where my head was when i was when i was thinking of that oh wait like, oh this is you might be a redneck we yes. we, we got to keep going with this if you require daily report outs on what people accomplish during the day on your team you might be a micromanager. If you meet with more than one level in a single meeting to judge what's happening at the base level you might be a micromanager. <laughs> I could do this all day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry on my uh, terrible Jeff Foxworthy impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So good. How do you feel about decentralized leadership and why? I feel like it's necessary. I, it, it's for the exact same purpose we were just talking about, right? That's, uh, the, the opposite of that is micromanagement. Um, right. I... I there, there are times where where centralized leadership is really effective. I think my team, we kind of bounce in between because there's certain things that I just take point on. I try to take it's point on everything that can take my team off the rails. And so for those things, or, or you know, I just ran a hiring for a designer and I, I ran kind of a centralized leadership on the hiring for it. I'd created, I brought the pool from like 400 people down to eight and then I handed it off and had other people participate. There's, there's parts of that where centralized leadership is effective, but for a team to be dynamic and to be creative and to be nimble, not just that, but to be inspired, it's got to be decentralized because what you don't own, you don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. And in everybody in their respective area needs to own it. If someone is sweeping the floor, they need to own all the decision-making that has to go through with that floor. If it's a cost thing, then you get finance involved, but now your floor guy is a project manager and they should take ownership on that level. People do better work when they care. You know, you got to be careful. You have to have the right culture because if if you don't, then decentralized leadership turns into a, a disaster really fast. But that's where all that stuff intertwines. 
If, is, if this was a quiz, you would have just gotten an A+. This Woo! is where I, I I emulate, and by the way, I'm not religious in any way, but I, I do know a particular Jesus quote, or at least I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> he says everything in moderation. I say everything in context. Everything in context, yeah. Because you're absolutely right. It, like a leader, if you're, in my humble opinion, your most important job as a leader is culture keeper. You are and making sure that the pieces that you've put in place to make this a compelling, engaging, truth-telling, transparent, idea-promoting environment, that is your job as a leader is to keep the culture. Your job is to not make sure everybody's doing their job. If that's what you have to do as a leader, you have missed the mark. You have you failed somewhere. Yeah, I completely agree with that. You haven't trained people correctly. You've hired the wrong person. You like micromanagement. If if you're if you feel in any way that your job is to make sure other people are doing their job, you, you done fucked up, AA Ron. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it's not it's not the right way to go. Uh, how do you feel about um, remote work versus office work? What's your take on that? I will never work in an office again as long as I live. <laughs> I just won't. I, I I hate driving. I hate having to take the time that it takes away from my family to go drive to a location. I'm spoiled. Uh, like yeah. Elon Musk talked about, you know, how the people that are working remote are morally incorrect. And there's a part of that. It's like, is it wrong? I don't like it. I don't agree with him, but is it necessarily wrong? Cause there are people that have to show up and and I admire it and it's just not me. I worked very hard in my life to be able to do that. Now, you know, who knows? World might go catastrophic and technology might fail and I might end up in an office again. But uh <laughs> I think that the people who talk about how you have to be on site, I think that the ones that think like that, like, you know, here's your Jeff Boxer's quote of the year. No, it's that that's your micromanagers. If yeah. I need my people in front of me and under my thumb and I have to see what they're doing and see their face the whole time, I'm a micromanager. I, I think hybrid work environment is probably the way that everything should go because people realized the one thing everybody realized during COVID is they want life and that's not going away. People got a taste of it. Like, oh, I can see my family. Oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. Um, people have to be able to do that. Otherwise, you have drones that don't want to be there or you have people that are working and have, you know, families they don't see my personal take, right? Like I worked, I worked really hard in my life to get to a remote position before remote positions were even a thing. Mm -hmm. I found out that you might be able to do that if you found the right situation. And I scrounged one up. It's hard the same. because of all the limitations everyone talks about the non FaceTime. And that's why you have to work extra hard on culture. That's why it has to matter that much more because it's easy for people to become disconnected in a remote environment. It's not easy. Yeah, it forces you to work on the right kind of thing, which is culture. I had a, I had a quote pop into my head from pop culture. It's Ferris Bueller. It's very choice. And if you have the means, I highly suggest you pick one up. <laughs> Working in a remote environment and, and and I'm somebody who is an extrovert. I love my meetings. I love that face-to-face -face time um, development and connectedness and, and the things that are important to me. 
I, I made what was important for the people who I worked with. I made that important for myself. I felt like that was my role to remove obstacles from who they wanted to be and become and grow to be, etc. I had to learn an entirely new skill set when we shifted over to remote work, and it wasn't easy for me. On the flip side, having gone through that and now understanding how to still engage a team from a remote standpoint, I joke and I call it the new world order. If you have the means to work from home, you know, my own personal story uh, as an example, the money that we save on daycare, the money that we saved on gas, my household saved over $1,500 a month the day I went home. That's exactly. That's just, that's just one piece. And then I think Max said it best because he's like, people can be at home. They can have their own chair, their own smells, their own food. Nobody's <laughs> going to mess with your lunch in the fridge. It It's something that is a part of the great resignation that I don't think people understand. And I, I do respect the fact that I was incredibly privileged because I didn't have to go into a restaurant. I didn't have to go into a base level service organization, not doing things like cleaning those, those tangible pieces of work. It requires hands. You can't do it remotely. So I feel fortunate and I feel lucky, but I go back to that quote from Ferris Bueller or, or a, a paraphrase of it. If you can work remotely, what that affords you in time back for you, your family and your livelihood, being able to understand decentralized leadership and how to still engage a team and encourage them with their goals, get their skin in the game. I think that's what you were talking about with decentralized leadership is really ownership. And if we can authentically engage people and they have their own ownership in those segments, remote work and decentralized leadership lead to an independent highly functional team that can also handle things when you're not there. Mac, when you go on vacation for for three, four days, you're headed to Riggins or McCall for the weekend. I know you do that once in a while because you have family there. Do you worry about anything going wrong on a Friday or a Monday? No. I Well, I keep my phone on. They, my team knows they can contact me on days off because that's, that's my role as a leader that I have to be available. But I never hear from them. <laughs> Yep. This is one of the returns on investment of having a bulletproof team that has skin in the game, that is transparent, that communicates, that knows their resources, that work with one another instead of against one another, is just the simple ability to be gone for a couple of days because they can handle it. Yeah, well, I, I do want to throw a disclaimer on what we were just talking about, too, because like... I realize what I'm saying is I, I probably to because I come from a blue collar town. And I realize everything I just said made me sound like an entitled little twit. And <laughs> like I'm never working, you know, in an office again. And like I've got plenty of friends who are like throwing out electrical lines and building buildings. And the 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 flip side of that is because they they look at what I do and it's like, man, you got soft hands and you're kind of a wuss. And my answer to that is yes. Yeah, you're damn right. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. I look at, at those professions as the greater of the whole when it comes down to professions, like the, the ones that are actually doing the crap. Um, I do feel like they're underpaid. I absolutely think they're underappreciated. I think that that part of society is underrepresented as a whole. I've also worked very hard to get my soft hands. And so like everyone just chooses their own path. To your point, uh, this is something that as as an individual consultant, when I when I do that kind of work, one of the areas that I am currently focusing on is tradesmen. And I think that as we progress and AI gets more 
prevalent and robots take over more jobs, the, the jobs that still require hands that cannot currently be done by robots or AI, those people are going to become, and if they're not, they should become worshipped. Like that should be, yes. man, that, that should be revered that the people that are willing to go still put their safety potentially lives on the line to to get stuff done we should have nothing but respect for that yeah i i would i want to echo that from the standpoint of craftsmanship when you know the difference between a house of sticks that was thrown together versus a house that was built by a craftsman who has experience and leads a crew that knows what they're doing it is an art to put together buildings it is it is an art uh some of these things when we talk about electricians and journeymen and we all have stories of good ones and bad ones yeah uh, absolutely agree that you know when i when i pay an electrician what what seems like almost a shockingly expensive amount to handle something that i know if i screw up will kill me <laughs> i'm okay with that yeah so mac despite all that i'm never working in an office again <laughs> yeah <laughs> well said um all right mac so yeah. you uh you've you've painted a picture where you have carved yourself a path you're in a position that you thoroughly enjoy you uh you don't intend to <laughs> leave it until you uh die or retire so as a, as a sort of a parting shot would you mind what what advice would you give for anybody that is carving their way through the middle to try to get where you're at into a position where they get to craft their lifestyle, they get to craft their team? What advice do you have for leaders who are on that path and striving to do that very thing? Don't accept anything less. From the point that you join the workforce to the point that, you know, you get put in a box, right? you're building your career and who you are. And if you have a goal in mind, anything out of that goal is, is unacceptable. Um, I, I had built my career in a really non-conventional way. And I just found different leverage points that I could get to, to get me here. And I never, I never had the goal that I wanted to boss people around. It's always been around. I wanted the freedom to put my ideas into motion. And I had certain ideas about culture and I had certain ideas about I, marketing is just a constant playground for me. And I take it very, very seriously, but I wanted the autonomy to be able to put those things into motion. That's just the type of brain that I have. Everyone has their own goal. So if your goal is to create something from from a high level, if your goal is to lead, and, and your goal shouldn't be to lead, your goal should be to serve. If your goal is on those levels, anything that deviates from that, that, that doesn't mean to say like, you don't take a demotion, you don't change a career field. Because like I did, I, I went into finance for a bit out of marketing, but that brought me knowledge of account management, right? So I was able to leverage the knowledge into something, you've got to find the things you can leverage to your goals. And you can't take your side off of it. And you just have to be too stupid to quit. Is and I, I say that to myself all the time. Like you just gotta be too stupid to quit. You gotta push forward, even if you fall on your face, and especially when you fall on your face, um, and learn from it because you know otherwise you're just gonna fall on your face again. Yeah, it, it, get to know people is the other thing. 
knowing the right people and not burning bridges, I burnt way more bridges than I should have when I was young. And I I was a real, I, I was not a smart fella. I, I think that the the contacts that you make will surprisingly help you. They will help you at a level that you're not ready for and that should flatter you. If they don't, then you haven't made the right contacts or you haven't acted the right way. The contacts that you make as you come up in the world are going to be there whether you like it or not. And you will get referrals off of people you didn't expect if you built your life the right way. Um, those two things, I think, I mean, those get you the places you need to go. Someone will have faith in you along the way because you don't get there just by doing things on your own. You have to be the person that someone else is going to be like believe in in order to get to a position of leadership. Perfect. Thanks, Max. Well said. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. <laughs> Do I get an A on that one too? <laughs> <laughs> you get an A on that one. Not even an A minus. Uh, so we want to thank you, Mac, for you spent a bunch of time with us today. I think I'm going to turn these, this one into a two-parter. If you like the things that Mac has to say and you like his personality like we do, we recommend highly the National Land Podcast. And as I mentioned before, if you are in Idaho and looking for some land yourself, fancy yourself. Actually, anywhere in the country. Anywhere in the country. Thank you for correcting me. Anywhere in the country. Nationalland.com. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-A-L-L-A-N-D.com. Thanks again, Mac. You're a delight, as always. We love talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast and sharing some of your wisdom and some of your nonsense. We appreciate it. (laughs) Appreciate you, sir. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time. All right. Is he gone? He's gone. God damn, I love Mac. <laughs> Such a uh, good guy. There's too much to summarize there. You're just going to have to, if you if you fast forward to the summary, you're going to be disappointed. There was too much that happened, so much so that we had to put it in two different podcasts. So if you've come this far, thanks and good job cuz you probably got a lot out of this or hopefully you did. Yeah. So in the second instance of our discussion with Matt Christen, he is the chief marketing officer for National Land Realty and the host of the National Land podcast weekly and getting into things like remote versus the office, the why and how that plays into decentralized leadership and actually, again, creating the environment that we all want to be in. Because if you're not having any fun, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) 